0: Joshua chapter 5, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, Joshua. Get to Judges, Ruth, you went too far, back up. Joshua chapter 5, we're in uh, this series that I'm calling God Encounter, where hopefully, on what you took away from last week as we looked at Job, is uh, it's a little bit different than normally the way I might deal with these texts. What I'm wanting you to see as we look at these week in and week out is I want you to see maybe familiar texts, familiar stories, but from a different angle. I want you to see the story within the story. I want you to see the, the context within the context. I want you to see the danger of putting God in a box and... I want us to understand as a people of God what it means that God is an unchanging God, but He chooses to work in our lives in radical, unique, and unexpected ways. He doesn't change. He is the same God always. But we need to be very careful about how we presuppose that this unchanging God may encounter us in our own lives. And so hopefully tonight... Uh, He'll show us that again in Joshua 5. Let's pray and ask His help tonight. Father, we thank You for Your Word. It's perfect, inerrant, wonderful, beautiful, spectacular in every way. Thank You for this gift that we have in Joshua 5. and Lord, we pray that You take it now and use it in our lives for Your glory. We need You to grant us ears to hear that we might respond correctly. In Jesus' name and for His glory. Amen. Joshua 5. I want to just begin reading in verse 13. You see the, the context in this chapter. Uh, it's not a long chapter. Uh, basically, Joshua has assumed uh, leadership. He's the heir apparent to for Moses. And Moses has now gone to be with the Lord. And so Joshua is the uh, leader of God's people. And there's all of these subplots that are sort of brewing around as they're preparing to uh, cross the Jordan into the promised land and begin to move into the places that God has for them. Interestingly enough, we get to this chapter and the people of God cross the the Jordan. As you know, they, they move across into the Jordan. they are stones of remembrance and it's this wonderful time the manna ceases to exist and now they're living off the land and so it's this new and wonderful time and then in the beginning of Joshua 5 God says to Joshua oh, by the way uh everyone perished in the wilderness except for you and Caleb and so now these children and their descendants have grown up and they've not been circumcised now I'm not going to get a way off into this conversation, but suffice it to say Joshua is leading a people of about 2 million. And they know that they're about to go into battle. And it just seems very strange that God would choose this particular time. Has it not been, you know, 40 years in the making? and God waits until it's now about time to go into battle and he depletes if you will all the the men he he wounds all the warriors if you will he incapacitates them for a time it just seems very it's so it's such a God move in the most bizarre human reasoning would never come to that Decision in that point in time, but that's exactly what God does. And then we move straight from there into this text, Joshua 5, beginning in 13. So it came to pass when Joshua was by Jericho that he lifted his eyes and looked, and behold, a man stood opposite him with his sword drawn in his hand. And Joshua went to him and said to him, Are you for us or for our adversaries? So he said, No. But as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. And Joshua fell on his face to the earth and worshipped and said to him, What does my Lord say to his servant? Then the commander of the Lord's army said to Joshua, Take your sandal off your foot, and for the place where you stand is holy. And Joshua did so. Now we'll just stop there for a moment and think this through. First of all, I want you to notice that God doesn't encounter us at just some random places and times. That the clue to what's about to take place here is in verse 13 where it says Joshua was by Jericho. That God had taking Joshua through all of these steps and processes to get him ready for this moment in time. And when that time is about ready to pass, then God God, sort of at this pivotal moment intersects with Joshua to to have this yet uh, not final but very instrumental moment in Joshua's life to prepare him for that which God has Immediately to follow. This isn't Joshua's first time to be near Jericho. No, is it? Joshua has been here before. Joshua has crossed over as one of the spies. Joshua has been all around this area. Joshua stood at the, the edge of the Jordan. And him and Caleb pleaded with the people to not be afraid and to trust God. And to cross over into the promised land. And if you remember, Numbers 14 uh, tells us that story. The Bible says in verse 10, and all the congregation, their response was to stone them with stones. But as they were picking up their stones to kill Joshua and Caleb, now the glory of the Lord appeared in the tabernacle of meeting before all the children of Israel. God intervenes, spares their life. Of course, He's got a bigger plan in, in place. But at the time, at the moment... God is just revealing that He is in control. And so Joshua has, has been through a lot. He has uh, watched all of his contemporaries perish. I mean, you think about all the things that he's been through. And he remembers, this is what I want you to understand. Because I'm trying to get you to, to think humanly so that I can just let God explode all of that in this text because that's what will happen. And part of the problem with this is that we many of us have a bunch of flannel graph images in our head, and a bunch of little, you know, we've we the way if we're not careful teaching these texts to children, we ruin the the glory of them because we just trivialize them and shrink them down and make them into silly little, you know, stories when they're they're quite the contrary. Now, he knows the situation. He he was there. He he lived the horrific consequences of not crossing over. And and, uh, what happens when the people of God succumb to fear and rebel against God? He knows that. So when he assumes leadership of God's people through the leading of the Holy Spirit, what are the kinds of things that Joshua says in the first chapter of The book of Joshua, like the famous passage in Joshua 1, 9, where Joshua says, Have I not commanded you, be strong and of good courage? Do not be afraid, nor be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. This came off the lips of Joshua. Because he knows the propensity of people to wimp out in the moment in time when God's called them to do something that's a little bit out of their Box a little bit out of their comfort zone. And so he is mentally tuned into this. And so he is pleading with the people over and over. If I had a nickel for every time Joshua said, be courageous, be courageous, be strong, be courageous, choose this day, make sure, focus in on what," over and over and over. That's his message because his sort of life uh, experience up to this point was... When you are fearful and rebel against God, the consequences are horrific. So he's now the general of God's army. And he is trying to get people to be courageous. And so as this moment has come upon him and this daunting task of the most fortified city that has ever been, uh, the, the, the oldest walled, city on the face of the earth, archaeologists believe this monstrosity of a place is a teeny tiny little city. The walls are so massive that the city is not very big and doesn't, in, doesn't have a tremendous amount of inhabitants because you simply couldn't build a, a fortified city, that a wall that massive around a large area. And so there he is looking at this city. He's the commander. He's the general. And suddenly, he sees this warrior standing before him. Sword drawn, ready for battle. Now, the first thing that I want to draw your attention to is that, especially coming out of the Advent season, this should be fresh on all of your minds because there's always the conversations about people's interaction with angels. This comes comes upon Joshua, much like people encounter angels. And every time someone encounters an angel, what happens? They immediately are petrified, fall on their face, and then the angel immediately says to them, get up, don't be afraid. Right? This clearly is not an angel because the exact opposite happens. Here this warrior calls for and accepts the worship of Joshua. He falls on his face before this warrior and the warrior does not tell him to stand up. The warrior receives the worship. This is the pre-incarnate Jesus showing up on the scene in one of his many Old Testament appearances. And so when this... Angel of the Lord. When this warrior shows up, he falls on his face and worships and he receives it and accepts it because he's not an angel. Now, when you are in command of something, when you are the leader, when people are looking at you for direction and you are leading people through some dangerous situation or some daunting task one of the ways in which people rely upon leadership is that a leader, especially in a military sense, their number one priority is identify the enemy. You cannot do anything until you've identified who the enemy is. And so when he's faced with this mysterious warrior, sword drawn and ready to go to battle... Any good general would respond just like Joshua did because his number one priority is to identify, are you my adversary or are you on my side? I mean, which way is this going to go? Are you for me or are you against me? And so I want you to look at uh, what the Bible says, how Joshua approaches him. Notice it says Joshua went to him and said, are you for us? or our adversaries the Hebrew there he went to him it really means he went up to him in other words Joshua sees this mysterious person sword drawn Joshua doesn't first bow down and worship him Joshua goes right up in his face that's what the the original language is trying to communicate he goes right up to him And says boldly as a commander, as a general, are you for me or are you against me? Then he turns and falls on his face in worship. And so he's, he's bold. He goes right up to the warrior and wants to know. And interestingly, you know, the way, the way the, the Lord responds is where we start to really understand that there's something afoot here. Because he asks a question. Are you for us or against us? Which is it? The response is no. Which is really not an answer to that question at all, is it? Who says no to that question? He says, no, but as commander of the army of the Lord, I have now come. That does not in any way, shape or form answer Joshua's question. In fact, it refutes his question. And so what's going on here? You see, the. This encounter is clearly not for Joshua to claim the allegiance of this warrior to Joshua's cause. Joshua is facing this moment by trying to discern, are you with me or against me? Because that's the only two contexts I have. I'm leading these people and I have... You know, I have friends and I have enemies, and that's the only two boxes I have. And so I just need to know which one you fit into so I know how to handle you because that's what I'm doing. That's what I'm about. That's where I'm going. And so what I need to know are you, are you with me? Are you, are you here to, to support my endeavors? Are you here to work against me? Which one is it? But this negative answer, no, is, The Lord's rebuking Joshua's agenda. Joshua's two boxes of for and against. The Lord's not interested in that. He hasn't come so that Joshua can say, Oh, you're with me. Now we're going to be victorious. He hasn't come for that. He's come... For Joshua. Do you understand the difference? What what the Lord says in His answer is, No, I'm not here for what you're doing. I'm not here for the reasons you think. I'm not here for all of the ideas that you have about what's going on here. I'm here for me to get you. Not for you to get me. And so... He's here to claim Joshua for himself. He doesn't fit into this box. Joshua cannot boil the Lord down to either you're with me or you're against me. Now, I just want you to see, first of all, Joshua has an agenda. His agenda is, I'm going to lead the people across here, across the Jordan... I'm going to do everything I can do to prevent them from murmuring in the tents and cowering down and and causing all the horrible ramifications that we've already been through. I'm going to lead them and then we're going to go to battle and the God, and, and the God that we serve is going to bring us to victory. That's essentially Joshua's understanding of what's going to go on. And I think a lot of people would say, well, yeah, that's the context of what's going on. But no, that's not the context of what's going on. Because the Lord wants no part of that agenda. And Joshua, so his, because of who he is, his agenda seems masked because he seems to be about uh, the Lord's business. But Joshua comes to Jesus the same way You come in the same way I come in the same way everybody comes. Everybody comes to Jesus with an agenda. Everyone approaches Jesus with an agenda. Everyone comes to the Lord with an agenda. And then when the agenda is exploded, when the agenda is completely unraveled, that's when transformation takes place. You're looking at me like you don't believe me. These verses will come up on the screen. In Numbers chapter 14, remember I was telling you that's where the the initial moment in time where they were supposed to cross into the promised land, but they didn't do so and it was a giant fiasco. What was the agenda of the people of God in that moment? Look at these verses. They don't go in. It's a giant fiasco. The glory of the Lord shows up in the tabernacle Numbers 14, so all the congregation lifted lifted up their voices and cried, and the people wept that night. And all the children of Israel complained against Moses and Aaron, and the whole congregation said to them, if only we had died in the land of Egypt, or if only we had died in the wilderness... Why has the Lord brought us to this land to fall by the sword? That our wives and children should become victims. Would it not be better for us to return to Egypt? Are you listening to the agenda? Because here it comes. Verse 4. So they said to one another, let us select a leader and return to Egypt. You see, they thought that they knew the way things were supposed to go. And so as soon as, oh, you mean we gotta cross over there where those giant people are, and we've gotta fight them, and we've gotta, we've gotta battle those fortified cities, and there's giants over there, and they make us feel like grasshoppers, and so this is a group of people that have just been led out of captivity, walked across a sea on dry land, they've had food falling from the sky, They've been through, God has shown them a gazillion times over and over. They've seen the glory of the Lord descend. They've seen God uh, give, the, give Moses the law and him come down off the mountain. They've seen all the consequences of, of messing around with God. There's nobody in this group of people that's going, you know what, I'm just not really sure if God's real. No one's saying that. No one is doubting the reality of God in this group. These people are not less spiritual than you and me. They're just exactly like us. Exactly. As soon as God doesn't do something the way we think it ought to go, Job last week, we panic and start to freak out. And if we can't put our human wisdom on it, and we can't rationalize some way to understand what God's doing, then it must be something wrong. And they weep and wail against God. And their solution to the problem is, after everything that they've been through, you know what we're going to do? We're going to just choose ourselves a leader and we're going to march ourselves right on back to Egypt. Which has got to be the most ridiculous, idiotic, moronic thing you could ever possibly read in Scripture. And yet, we do it every day. Every day. Not a day in my life goes by that somebody... Is not doing something that they know and I know full well is perfectly in opposition to what the God of the universe, whom they profess to be the Lord, has said not to do and they do it anyway. And if you talk to them about it, it's because I don't understand. It's because I can't. It's because you don't get my situation. You don't get my circumstances. You don't know my past. You don't know my current. You don't know this. You, you don't know all the ways that I'm unique and different. You don't know. No, 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 no. It's just human rationalization. It's the same exact thing. And Joshua is the leader of God's people and he has an agenda. And his agenda is he's going to go over there and he's going to battle those people and God's going to help him and that's what's going to work. And so he sees this mysterious warrior standing in his way and he only has one question. Are you for me or are you against me? Because that's the only two options it could be and the answer is neither. Which is God's way of saying no to Joshua's agenda. I'm not even going to answer that. No. But, I am the commander of the Lord's army, and I'm here. That's God's answer. No to whatever you're thinking. No to all of your ideas. No to all of your wisdom. No to everything you've presupposed. No to every single human idea that you have. The answer is no. But I am the commander-in-chief of the universe, and I'm here. That's what you need to know in this moment. Boy, now that, that will preach. That is instructive. That is what a people who are constantly embattled, embattled in these agenda rifts about their lives need to hear. You know, well, I I just don't like this school. This school is not the kind of school that I think my kids ought to go to. This isn't my kind of school. This isn't my sort of situation. There's other schools that are more to my liking. I don't like this teacher. I like that teacher. This I don't like the way this teacher teaches. I like the way that teacher teaches. I don't like uh, this neighborhood. I like that neighborhood. I don't like the way this is. I like the way that is. I don't like this restaurant. I like that restaurant. I'm into these. I have an idea about how my job should go. And I don't like that job or I don't like that boss or I like the way my old boss used to be the boss or I like the the company before it got sold out or uh, or my relationship. Listen, I could go all night on this. We are the kings, the kings of agenda. No one holds a candle to the American spoiled, rotten Christian. We have an opinion about everything that's meaningless It's meaningless. We decide all the things the way that we think the things ought to be without any regard to the reality that we're not sovereign. I don't know how many times or how many different ways I can say this. I can solve any marital strife. Any marriage that's falling apart can be resolved with this one principle. The problem is, is that whenever a relationship is disintegrating, 100% of the time, you have either one or two individuals in that relationship that are unhappy with the way things are going because they're not going the way they think they ought to be. And so their response to things not going the way they think they ought to be is, well, therefore, I'm not going to do The things I ought to do because it's not going the way I think it ought to be, which is irrelevant information. The only thing that matters is you stood in a church before God and said, I commit my life to this person forever till death do us part. Period. End of story. I don't want to hear all of the reasons why this person is undeserving of your allegiance. You said you would do this. Now do it. Just do it. You don't understand how hard it is. You're probably right, I don't. You don't understand all the... You're probably right, I don't. The only thing I understand is God said, here's how this is going to roll. He didn't say, you do this if they do this. He just says, you do this. Whatever the relational strife is. Every child that's bitter with their parents. You sit down with them. As soon as you say, listen, I get all that. I understand. I know. I know this. I know that. I know. I know. But the Bible says, honor your mother and father. And they go, but, 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 but I don't. But listen, I don't want to hear that. The Bible says, this is what it says. Just do What it says, and no one says, Amen. This church is not for me. This relationship is not for me. This, I mean, think about all of these. We just pick and choose and customize and interchange our lives like we're like we we it's like we live in Lego Land. We just punch the blocks in however we want them. Okay, let me let me drive this home a little bit more. You're me. Let's just use me for an example. How about that? Then you won't be defensive. I can see it in your posture. So I go to Lowe's. I need to buy some things from Lowe's. I get to Lowe's. I can't find the things I'm looking for in Lowe's. There's nobody there to help me find the things that I'm supposed to be finding in Lowe's. I, you know, eventually find whatever it is that I'm looking for in Lowe's on my own after, you know, searching high and low, I finally find that on my own. Then as I proceed up to the register to pay for the things that I found on my own that weren't where they were supposed to be and there was no one there to help me find them, then when I finally proceed up to the register to do that, I've got this person who is having all sorts of problems trying to sort out the person in front of me And therefore, I am just utterly and completely inconvenienced by the whole entire process of waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting and waiting 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 until finally I'm able to get the stuff that I've got on my own that no one was there to help me get. And out the door I go, and why am I frustrated? I'm frustrated because my agenda is I'm going in here to get something I need. And everyone that works in here exists To please me. And it's all about me. And so if you can't do your job in an efficient way. And you cause me to have to wait. Then you have now bumped into my agenda. And failed to live up to what I believe ought to be happening here. And therefore I have a problem with you. And you can... Spin that into any context you want, whether the waiter brings you the wrong food or it takes too long or somebody mixes up your bill or whatever the case may be. And here's the problem with all of that is that 98% of the world would give their right arm to have a Lowe's that I've walked in village after village after village, that when you need a two by four, you've got to get out there as a 70 year old man and saw down a tree on your own, drag it back to your hut, set it in the sun for two weeks till it dries out, and then get out there with an axe and chip all the bark off. And after you've done all that, you finally have a stick that you might be able to use. But I am frustrated because I had to wait to get my two by four. I didn't get my food the way I wanted it. It didn't go the way I think it ought to go. This is our world that we live in and we think nothing of it. We are frustrated because red lights take too long. I was just about to say, guys, you're going to turn up my mic because they're not listening. But then when I got a little response here, so. It's agenda. We have an agenda. All of us. Joshua comes to this moment with an agenda and he looks like the model citizen. He looks like the great commander. He looks like, you know, to the, to the human psyche, all of, his, all of his preparation, all the sanctification needed for what Joshua was about to embark on has all been completed. And so he's ready to go. And God says, negative, you're wrong. It's not. He's still got an agenda and I'm about to break him of that. So he stands in front of him, sword drawn, As if to say, you want some of this? Joshua has no concept, no clue of who he's talking to, and he says, Well, are you for me or against me? And God just rejects him. Nope. Nope. I don't want to hear about your agenda. I don't want to hear about what you think. I don't want to hear about your categories and your boxes and all your ideas about the way things are going to go. That's not how I roll. I haven't come here for your agenda. I am the commander of the Lord's army and I'm here. You know what that means? Do You know what that statement says? That statement says, here's the deal, Joshua. You have two choices. You're either going to join my agenda or I'm about to steamroll your agenda. Well, Joshua's no dummy. He falls flat on his face and begins to worship. He, as soon as he's responded to, he knows, uh-oh, that was stupid. This is what we need. We need a God encounter to straighten us up, to wake us up to the reality of what's going on around us, to rattle us into, hello, what really matters? What is really significant? Now, I want you to see that there's a... That, that, all of these scenarios, in other words, this scenario, the scenario, numbers 14, what, what is in our scenarios are all the same in the sense that when our agenda comes, encounters God, what is the response? Fear. It's always fear. And why? Because we don't know what God's going to do. We don't know what is happening. We're not in control. As soon as our agenda gets jerked out of our hands, we panic and we respond in fear. And so what we do is we turn around and run and go find us another leader so they'll take us back to Egypt. That's what we do. So you're... Let's use this in parenting. You're raising your children. And when they're little, everything's fine. Because you're big and they're little. And so a lot of Christian people raise model Pharisees when they're this tall. And it looks beautiful. And they completely ignore the heart condition of the child, just like I talked about a few weeks ago. Well, watch what happens when, but then a day approaches when suddenly there is the realization that the child is not for us, but against us. And when that happens, which it always does, the parent panics and in fear, over-parents the situation and makes it, compounds it and makes it worse. They realize, see, they have an agenda. Let's say the agenda is I want well-behaved children. I want my children to do these things and behave this way. And when they don't, what happens? We respond by over-parenting in fear... We're so afraid that our kids are going to grow up and be like us that we smother them to death because we can, instead of shepherding their heart, we shepherd them with a sledgehammer and we just go, hey, it's not going to be that way because you have the power and authority to make it that way. But here's the problem. They will outgrow that methodology. And every time, 100% of the time, you're going to end up with a teenager that gets a driver's license And laughs in your face. And while you're at home, tucked in all snoozy at night, thinking everything's hunky dory, they're gonna be out doing things that would make your stomach turn. Agenda. What's your agenda? So, whether it's your marriage, whether it's your parenting, whether it's your job, whether it's whatever it is, what is your agenda? What if you decided things ought to be? Because the good thing about the reason I chose this text is because Joshua is, you see, it's very hard for us to look at Joshua and go, oh, well, you know, I mean, I'm more spiritual than Joshua. See, because we see Joshua as this very spiritual person. And so it causes us a big wreck because if Joshua's got an agenda, then we got a problem. It's what we got. Well, let me put it to you this way. There's little ways that you can mine your idolatrous agendas out of the soil of your life. And I'm going to give you one just to make you miserable. Just ask yourself this little question. What determines whether or not you have a good day? What determines tomorrow whether or not tomorrow is a good day or a bad day? There's something. There are some days you have that are good and there are some days you have that are bad. I want to know why. I want to know what is the determining factor. Well, really I don't because I do know and I'm about to tell you. When it goes according to your agenda, it's a good day. And when it goes against your agenda, it's a bad day. And it's the same for me. And if you want to know where your little idolatrous agendas are, just look at where you get annoyed, where you get aggravated, where you get all ruffled up. Because that will expose your agenda. You see, it's, it's what I call agenda living. It's this most excruciating, defeated, exhausting way to approach life for a Christian. It, it, it sucks the life right out of a relationship with God. You think about how tiring it is. To spend all of your effort and energy trying to manipulate and orchestrate your agenda. It just burns you down. It just wears you out. I mean, a simple, a simple gauge to know how great of an issue this is in your life will be In the last 30 days, was the majority of your time joyful or annoyed? And I mean, that's just ridiculously lenient. You are a child of God. He's come according to him not me to give you life and life abundantly. And so even if you're 50-50, you have got a major league problem. Right? Yes. What are you aggravated about? What are you annoyed about? What are you missed about? What are you unhappy about? What is not going your way? What's your problem? You're a child of the king. So when, you, when, so I have agenda too. But when my agenda gets bumped into, as soon as my flesh wants to hurl me off the cliff of getting all bent out of shape and aggravated, I have to stop and preach the gospel to myself and call myself, whoa, 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 wait a minute. I'm not the sovereign. But I know the sovereign this can't defeat me because I'm going to live forever. And so this may not be going the way I think it ought to go. They're not doing the things I think they ought to do. My kids aren't obeying me the way they should obey me. My marriage is not the way I think it ought to be. My finances aren't the way it ought to be. My you fill in the blank doesn't fit into my thing, but I'm saved. God saved me. And so my demise is not going to be in this agenda. So maybe because He's my Lord, He knows something I don't know. Maybe maybe the best blessing that I've ever known is right around the corner of what I'm cursing against. The gospel. Lay down your agenda. That's what this is teaching. See, you just thought we were going to go around Jericho and the walls were going to fall. You can't go there until you go here. You can't march around Jericho. The walls don't fall till your agenda comes tumbling down. So we get fearful because it's out of control and we don't know what's going to happen. And so we start strategizing and scheming and manipulating and worrying and fretting all of these things that are completely and totally ungodly. That's our response. But the whole while we're justifying it. We're reading our Bible. We're being faithful in church and we're praying. And but our heart is in a giant knot. And we're totally tangled around this thing. I'm not saying. that Christians don't weep. Christians don't mourn. Christians aren't sorrowful. Christians aren't genuinely just want to cover themselves with sackcloth and ashes? I'm not saying that at all. I'm talking about agenda. I'm talking about agenda. You see, sometimes things happen to us that break our heart. They just crush us. And it's not wrong that it crushes us because it crush, it's meant to crush us. I mean, the consequences of sin are devastating. So whether we could do anything about it, can't do anything about it, whatever the case may be, it's devastating. And so our heart is broken over it. And there's absolutely, positively nothing wrong with that. It's about when we are trying to negotiate with the things that are in front of us. I'm not talking about the things that are behind us. I'm talking about the things that are in front of us. Our agenda is always forward-facing. Always. And so hear me clearly. There's some of you in this room right now that have faced some horrific consequences in your past. And if you hear me saying that it's wrong for you to grieve through those things, you're hearing wrong. That's not agenda. It may be partially uh, connected in some way, but primarily I'm talking about forward-facing what's ahead and what you and me discern ought to be in our future according to the way that we have sort of seen the light. Now, now here's the thing. Has, Has Joshua, has he disobeyed? some specific command of God? If you met Joshua five seconds before this encounter, could you have sat down with Joshua and said, Joshua, um, you know, here's the situation. I think that, you know, you've got an agenda with God and, uh, you know, you probably need to consider the fact that God may be up to something different than what you're doing. And Joshua would look at you like you're stupid. And Joshua would say, what are you talking about? I'm I'm a faithful Servant of God. You see, we're not talking about a person who blatantly just disregards the the command of God. We're talking about somebody who has an agenda. And justifies them through what we know about God. And the way we do that is on one hand we say, God is an unchanging God. And what we mean by that is that this unchanging God is going to do the things that I think He's going to do because He's unchanging. Which is preposterous it's preposterous where in the past has God said as you approach this city what I want you to do is I don't want you to I don't want you to get all your weapons out. I don't want you to send fiery darts over the walls. I don't want you to storm the gates. I just want you to march around. Just do that for six days. And when you're done doing that for six days, when you get to the seventh day, just go around seven times. And when you're done doing that, why don't you do this? Blow the trumpet and then scream real loud and let's see what happens. Was there any precedent for that? Was there any uh, biblical mo- model for that? No. You know why? Because that's the God who never changes right there in action. That's why when somebody says to you, well, you know, here's what God's up to in your life. I lean in, not because I'm interested, but because I'm curious. Because I want to hear what the next thing out of their mouth is. Based on what? We're going to talk about what the Scripture says. We're going to talk about what we know to be true about God. We're going, to, we're going to discern best of our ability based on the nature and character that He's revealed to us. But we're not going to box Him in and say... He's either doing this or he's doing this. It has to be one of these two things. No, it doesn't. No, it doesn't. It only has to be consistent with his character and nature. That's what it has to be. It has to be right, just, and pure 100%. That's what it has to be. It has to be absolutely perfect in every way. That's what it has to be. But it certainly does not have to be sensible to you and me. Agenda. Agenda means everything. You've got two thieves on the cross. Two men, two criminals, alike in a multitude of ways, but one stark difference. One man has an agenda to get down off the cross and he is in hell today. The other man has an agenda, but his agenda is to be with God and he is with God today. The only difference between those two men is their agenda Don't you see? It's their agenda. You can't come to God with the wrong agenda. You can't try to to push your, your ideas and your ways into... You can't do that. You can't do that. You can't do that. That's why I'm so careful. So many of you have such embarrassing pasts. I mean, really, it's disgraceful if we stop and think about it. Let's just look around the room. And what's worse is you're led by a man who has a disgraceful past. There I get the amen. So... And why are we so sensitive to that here? I mean, why Why? why is my heart so sensitive to the, the person that I know just a few minutes ago when I started talking about marriage and divorce? You just sank. You just sank. You just felt condemned. I know. Every time I talk about parenting, you just sink because your kids are wayward. Every time I talk about marriage, you just sink. But I want you to know something. Those are hard situations. And, and, and those aren't things that you should be proud of or happy about. But let me tell you something. God's hand is not shortened in your life. I want you to understand very clearly before I end tonight that the reason we're having this conversation about Joshua has absolutely nothing to do with Joshua. And so don't for a second think that because you haven't Been the model citizen because things haven't gone the way that everyone thinks they ought to go. That somehow you are now beyond the reach of God's grace to be used to do great things because of those situations that haunt you. You're not. And I know that you live in a world, a Christian society that has an agenda. And so you walk around with whatever scarlet letter you have. Tattooed on your forehead. But God doesn't see that. He doesn't see that. You think that thief is with him right now in paradise? You think he's bemoaning his wayward life and all of his mistakes and all of his flaws and all of the horrific, the 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 tragedy of his? Do you think that? Oh no. He's basking in the presence of the King of Kings and the Lord of Lords right next to the most righteous person that's ever lived. So he says, nope, I'm the commander of the army of the Lord. And I've now come, I'm on the scene. So Joshua falls down. And he worships him. And so this mighty general is reduced to a humble servant. And then I I wonder, why do you think that this passage would end? Of all of the things that would be said, Joshua, his agenda is broken. it's, It's unraveled. He's he's realized that he has overstepped his bounds and that the question is not are you for me or against me? The question is, Am I with you or am I against you? You see, he realizes the situation here. He realizes he had all this wrong, that he he that he'll never win a battle on his agenda, never. And he'll find that out when he goes to AI, won't he, in just a very short time. The question tonight is, not what are all of your agendas. The question tonight is, are you bowed in humble submission to His agenda? What is this text teaching us? That the commander of the Lord's army is here. The only other information that matters in the universe is are you on His agenda? That's all that matters. And if the answer is yes, then you have just discovered the gloriousness of a relationship with God that you can now frolic out these doors with all of your problems and all of your scars and all the junk that you can't fix and you can just stop worrying about it and stop fretting over it and stop allowing it and just live life abundantly the way God created you to live. So Joshua says, what does my Lord say to His servant? And... I would expect that here's a moment where there's going to be this profound command. You know, like, all right, Joshua, now you're ready. Here's what's going to happen. Boy, this is going to be amazing. Here's the way this is about to unfold. And what does the Lord say to Joshua? He says, take off your sandals. Take it off. Where you're standing is holy ground. And here's what I'm wondering. I'm wondering, at 6.35 this Sunday night, I'm wondering why you think God told Joshua to take off his shoes. And my guess is, is that you think that God told Joshua to take off his shoes because shoes are dirty. And you would be wrong. Because that's not why he said, take off your sandals. He said, take off your sandals because shoes were a symbol of affluence. Guess who never wore shoes? Slaves. And... The Lord says to Joshua, assume the rightful position and posture of what you are. You have now relinquished your agenda to me. Now take those shoes off that declare you're not a slave and be what you are. To which we hear and think, well, that's bad. Which again is the absolute 180 degree wrong way to see that. The greatest thing you could ever be is his slave. There's nothing on this earth that's better than that. He said, take your shoes off. You're not a general. You're a slave. I'm the commander. You mean, you mean I don't have to lead 2 million people? That's right. You mean it's not up to me to make sure all their weapons work and they have their ammunition? That's right. You mean it's not up to me to make sure that we take the right route and we have the right plan and we negotiate all the right things? You got it. You mean it's a, I mean, that had to be the greatest moment in Joshua's life. You, you imagine what it feels like to lead two million people to have all this pressure bearing down upon you and then in one interaction with this warrior God, you realize, wait a minute, I'm not the general. He's the general. I'm his slave. All i got to do is do whatever he tells me to do. And then everyone else just does whatever he tells me to do. They do what I do. And so we're going to go over there. He doesn't realize, but in just a few minutes, he's going to start marching around. And the most unbelievable victory in the history of the world up until this point is about to unfold right before their very eyes. Why? Because Joshua's great? No. Because he has any skill? No. Because he took his shoes off because he's a slave to the one who can do everything. So, what are we so fretful about? So, here's what I do. When I feel like things are unraveling around me, I have literally been in conversations before. I've been in conversations with my children. I've been in conversations with people in this fellowship where what I'm hearing and what I'm discerning about this situation is bad. Is bad. And I'm realizing that things are... that, that I haven't realized the gravity of the problem that's before me. And that I had no idea that this was going on under my nose and that I had missed all this and now I've got this tremendous... Moment, this reality check of, oh, no. What am I going to do now? And I just casually, in the midst of that conversation, I just slide my shoes off. Nobody even knows. My kids just think I just took my shoes off. It's just a little reminder to me. That I'm a slave. I'm not the general. I'm a slave. This isn't my battle. That's not my kid. That's not my sheep. That's not my future. That's not my hopes. That's not my dreams. They're his. And it's the most freeing reality. Reality. In the world. But just in case, just in case, you're still not convinced. One last passage and then we're done. All you who have Murmured in your tent. Failed in your marriages. Failed in your parenting. Failed vocationally. Failed economically. Failed relationally. Failed spiritually. Failed morally. And the list goes on and on and on. All the things that have solidified in your mind. That God loves you to the degree to which you can understand it. God will use you to the degree that you can rationalize it. But as far as anything great, as far as being able to do things that other people that you look up to spiritually could ever do, no, because you have been utterly and completely disqualified. For all of you who would lift Joshua up on a pedestal and say, Here's God's chosen one, the heir apparent to Moses, the leader, the one who could see that we ought to trust God and go in, that we ought to not be afraid. Oh man, what a great illustration! of what we all ought to aspire to be, leading these phenomenal people, blessing them because they're His. In Deuteronomy 6, the Bible gives a specific plan as to how the people of God are going to go into battle. And God begins and ends that whole conversation with this statement. He says... To Joshua and the people, therefore understand that the Lord your God is not giving you this good land to possess because of your righteousness. For you are a stiff-necked people. To which I say, praise be to God that He never changes. Because there's not one of us in here that would ever do that we would never greatly reward those who are stiff-necked and rebellious against us but when we put god in our box we make him in our own minds something he was never ever ever to be he is a god who blesses people Because he chooses to bless them. Because he loves them. And he doesn't love them because they're righteous. He loves them because he's God. And so you take that home with you today. And you lay all your agenda at the foot of everything that we've said. And may God and you have an encounter such that you're able to face whatever dismantling moments come upon you. No matter how heartbreaking, no matter how unexpected or grievous they may seem, or they are, you just simply slide your shoes off and say, I'm not the general I'm a slave. And what I thought was going to be is not to be. What I hoped was going to be is obviously not to be, at least not now. But maybe, just maybe, the general has your greatest victory in the most unexpected way around the very next corner. Let's stand, bow our heads. Father, we thank you tonight for you are good. And Lord, the mystery of who you are, the mystery of what happens when we encounter you is simply a wonder to behold. And Father God, I thank you for the ministry of the Holy Spirit that's taking place in the hearts of my brothers and sisters in my own heart, even now. And Lord, as we reconcile ourselves to your word, help us, help us, Lord, to forever remember we don't bend your word to us. We bow ourselves down to it. And so, Father, you're the Lord. We're the slaves. So last time I checked, nothing is impossible for you. And if we learned anything from looking at Job's life, your sovereignty is beyond question. It's indisputable in every way. Your power is unmatched. Your authority is unrivaled. And so we're your slaves. And so I wonder whose broken heart you're mending tonight. I wonder whose scarlet letter you're erasing tonight. I wonder who, whose agenda you've exploded tonight and who you've invited into the presence of the warrior, sword drawn, ready and able to slay any foe that may come against us who have you called to take their shoes off and bow down and worship you let you be god free us from the tyranny of our agendas the futility of our plans and our wisdom and God allow us to bask in the glory of a God for whom anything is possible so Lord we're just gonna we're just gonna harness this moment some of us may want to walk down to the front and kneel at the altar and pray some may want to Just sit right where they are. Seek your face. Someone might just want to slip their shoes off right now. Just as an act of obedience, a declaration of their servitude to you and the gratitude that comes with being your slave. Thank you, Lord. Thank you for Joshua. Thank you for your word. Thank you for helping us tonight. So Lord, we're just going to pause and respond as you lead us. We thank you for what you're going to do. In Jesus' name.